for the sermon this morning is taken from the book of Psalms. This morning's text is Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Let's read that together. O sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. In response to the preaching of the word, we will sing afterwards from Psalm 98, stanzas 3 and 4. And in the sermon, the scripture quotations will be from the ESV. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the Old Testament, it was not unusual for citizens to to greet a returning king fresh from victory over his enemies with song and with dance. Think, for example, of how the women of Israel greeted King Saul and David when they returned from defeating the Philistines. They went out of the cities and towns singing and dancing to meet Saul and David with tambourines and with songs of joy. Saul has struck down his thousands, they sang, and David his ten thousands. Psalm 98 has been called a divine warrior victory song, celebrating the return of Yahweh, the commander of the heavenly hosts. Psalm 98 is a song that calls the people and servants of the divine warrior king to to praise his kingship, to celebrate the marvelous things that he has done, his salvation and victories, and to do so in anticipation of his return. For as we read, he comes to judge the earth. His arrival is imminent. And that's why this psalm also is commonly associated with Christmas. As you know, the weeks leading up to Christmas are called Advent, and that means arrival. Advent is the season of living in the expectation of the coming King, King Jesus. But the truth is that God's people have always been and are still living in a time of Advent. Just as Israel hoped for the Messiah, we live in a joyful 
expectation of Christ's second coming. And knowing that fills us with expectation, with eager expectation. We're ready to sing. We're ready to make a joyful noise before the Lord. For He comes to judge the earth. We are getting ready to greet our divine King when He comes. But we aren't the only ones awaiting the arrival of the King. As we can read from the, this psalm, all the ends of the earth are looking forward to His arrival. And even creation waits in anticipation of that day. So I preach to you God's Word this morning with the following theme, Rejoice, for the King is coming. And we will see that the church rejoices, the nations rejoice, and the earth rejoices. Psalm 98 urges us to sing, to sing to the Lord. The inspired psalmist, one of God's covenant people, tells us to sing a new song to the Lord. There's always more to sing about. For his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. There's no end to praising God for the salvation he has given us. His mercies are new every morning. He's always performing new deeds, marvelous things. And so we have much to sing about. And God's marvelous deeds are summarized in different ways. In this psalm, this psalm speaks of the salvation of the Lord, His righteousness, His steadfast love, and His faithfulness. These are things that God's people experience again and again throughout their life. When Israel crossed the Red Sea, they experienced the power of God's mighty arm. And Moses and Miriam sang a new song. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The like had never been seen before. But it would never be forgotten. When Deborah and Barak defeated the army of Sisera, they didn't borrow Miriam's song, but sang a new song. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Break out in song. The mighty deeds of the Lord require new songs. O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. Old Testament Israel had every reason to rejoice. They experienced the marvelous works of God. And those works are recorded for us to remember and to sing about as well. They are the works of His right hand and His holy arm. The sovereign power of our God. He freed his people from the cruel bondage in Egypt. It certainly wasn't Israel's prowess that defeated Pharaoh. And he freed Israel and Judah from captivity in Babylon. Again, it was certainly not because Israel was so strong and so resourceful. It was only the sovereign intervention of the Lord that stopped Haman from destroying the Jews. It was the Lord who moved the heart of Cyrus to allow the Jews to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. He forces world powers to yield to His will to observe His deeds. And all the world could see. They could see the works that He did. But Israel and this psalmist don't just think of physical physical salvation 
the evidence of physical salvation was a promise of salvation from the serpent, the devil who had brought so much misery into this world and whose deceit caused that that horrible separation between God and man. When Israel saw the defeat of their enemies, they rejoiced in God's acts of salvation. But at the same time, they also hoped for new acts to come. They longed for the king who would reveal his righteousness and his justice. And even though God's Old Testament people didn't fully understand what that would mean for them or or how that would happen, often the cry of God's people was, Lord, do not delay Lord, come quickly to our help. But at the same time, they knew. They knew and they experienced that the Lord does remember. God's love and faithfulness sum up who He is. They are the essence of His being. They are the essence of of the blessings of living in the covenant of love. And they're always there even while his people suffered in Egypt or in Babylon. Israel might have thought that God was forgetting them, but the Lord was planning their rescue in his time. The salvation and redemption of his people was never in question. And sometimes we might wonder if God remembers us. It might seem as if God is withholding His love for a while. But He does this to redirect us to Him. To turn us toward Him. But His salvation is never far away. And we may always rejoice in His salvation. Because it has fully arrived in Jesus Christ. New Testament Israel also has every reason to sing. We too have experienced the marvelous deeds and works of our God. And those works are recorded for us to remember as well. They are the works of His right hand and His mighty arm, His sovereign might. Jesus, our King, has come. The church has seen the marvelous acts of God in the birth of Christ, His death, His resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And by His divine power, He has sent His Holy Spirit, who marvelously changes the hearts of God's people. And by the power of His Holy Spirit, Christ has conquered kingdoms and nations and the hearts of many people. Never before has the world seen such a phenomenon as the spread of Christianity. And even though Satan still rages... Even though the world still hates the church, his kingdom advances, not by might or power, but by the Spirit of the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 4, verse 6. The Lord does not work his salvation by by bow or by sword or by war, by horses and horsemen, but by his right hand and his holy arm. Jesus doesn't stoop to political interference or or brute force, but He conquers in truth and righteousness and justice. And because of this, our Lord Jesus Christ deserves 
the highest praise. His acts have proved that he is indeed divine. And so we sing to him as to the Lord. It is his right hand and his mighty mighty arm that have worked salvation. No one had to help him with this. But he himself did this marvelous act. He has conquered sin and hell and Satan. And by his, by his death, death has lost its sting. We have much to sing about. At the same time, we also sing the songs of the New Testament church, for example. The songs of Simeon the song of Mary, the song of Zechariah, and many more. These are added to the songs of the Old Testament. We have so much to sing about. Look back at the history of the church, for example. How often has God not saved His people? Has He not always protected His church? And look back at your own life. Did you ever have a real reason to doubt the Lord's salvation for you? Does He not always carry you through all the dark valleys and the steep hills of life? He always remembers His steadfast love and His faithfulness. And so we can be sure, we can be sure that Jesus our King will come again. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. And His steadfast love and His faithfulness have not changed. And so we can be sure of the coming of the Messiah. And we have every reason to sing a new song. And every time, every time we lift our voices in praise to God our King, We are rehearsing for the grand finale when together with the choir of heavenly hosts we will sing the new song in the new Jerusalem with 10,000 times 10,000 of God's holy warriors. We will gather around the throne and around Jesus Christ to join our voices to that multitude and we will sing the song that no one knows but only those whom God has redeemed for himself from every tribe and nation under heaven. What a day that will be. Who can imagine the matchless glory of that sound? It will be like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, with the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And then that great heavenly choir begins to sing, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Revelation 19. Let us rejoice, brothers and sisters, for that day is coming. The King is coming to judge the earth. Then the church and all of God's faithful will receive the full salvation of our God and of His Christ. Let us remember what He has done. And also what he promised to do yet. The world, the world doesn't know what's coming. The world lives in fear of striking asteroids and global warming. But we know that our king is coming. 
God has revealed that to us. He has revealed what His plan is for us and for the world. And so we don't have to live in fear, but we may live in joyful expectation, in anticipation of the coming of the King. We have much to look forward to. Many reasons to sing a new song. But there's an even broader perspective. God's marvelous works are done in full sight of the world. The psalmist writes, The Lord has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations, and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The world must see that there is a God who delivers His people with His right hand and His holy arm. And He displays that salvation in a public way. God used Israel as a vehicle to proclaim His righteousness and salvation. This is, this is God's self-witness, so to speak. There is no secret about it. All the ends of the earth have seen it. Someone has once said that God is His own evangelist. He proclaims His righteousness and salvation to the nations. He shows His love for His people. And when His people live in covenant faithfulness to the Lord, then this becomes known. It becomes evident. And this, too, happened throughout the history of God's people. Abraham, for example, was well known in the land of Canaan. He was even feared by the Egyptians when he went there to escape from famine in Canaan. And Jacob and his sons were feared by the people of the land. The people around them noticed that the Lord was with them. The fear of the God of Jacob fell on them, we read in Genesis. And the nations around Egypt observed and trembled at the might of Israel's God when God delivered them from Pharaoh. The inhabitants of Canaan heard what the Lord was doing for Israel and they melted in fear. And the ruins of the walls of Jericho were a public testimony that the Lord is with His people. And even someone like Nebuchadnezzar had to admit that the Lord is King. He praised the God of Daniel whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and whose kingdom endures from generation to generation. So in this way, the Old Testament church was called to be a blessing to the nations. That was the promise and the call that God had given to Abraham already so long ago. The special bond that God had with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the nation of Israel, was something that the people around them could see. And the mighty works of God were not only a witness of who God is, but also a call to the nations to come to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, for that is where the true God dwelt and where He was to be worshipped. And as long as the people lived in faithfulness to their God, a great witness went out from them throughout the world. The church of the Old Testament, too, had to be a light to the nations. The promise to Abraham that, that, in all, that in him all the nations of the world would be blessed was at the same time a call to faithful living before the Lord because only in faithfulness to the Lord and in faithfulness to God's covenant could Israel be a blessing to the nations. 
And we know, of course, that Israel didn't always live up to that calling. But yet, God was using the Old Testament church to work salvation for all nations. In the Old Testament, it didn't reach the same proportions that it did in the New Testament. But already then, you can see the beginning of how God, God's church blesses all people and all nations. And the Old Testament church realized that with the coming of the Messiah, the King. They realized that in Him, these promises would all be fulfilled. And that is why the Old Testament church could rejoice in the salvation of God. And they could rejoice that they were the means by which God was blessing the nations. And they even saw evidence of that already in their time. Think, for example, of Rahab. Think of Ruth, the Moabitess. Think of Naaman, the Syrian. And that was only a beginning. Peoples from the ends of the earth will be drawn to the salvation of the Lord as revealed in Israel. Psalm 87, for example, mentions Rahab and Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. And that is why the psalmist of Psalm 98 can also say that the ends of the earth have seen, not will see, but have seen the salvation of our God. The day would come when God would no longer have only a covenant with the Jews, but His covenant would be established with all believers and their children. God would break down the barriers and the gospel would go out to all the nations of the earth. Joy to the world! That's what the angels sang about when Christ was born. But this Old Testament psalmist sang about it already. And since that time, the Lord has made His salvation known through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit by whose power the gospel is being preached to the nations. You see, the Lord is not to be praised only for effecting salvation, but also making it known. Because mankind would never have discovered it for himself. It is only by his divine right hand and his holy arm that salvation is made known to man. And in the New Testament, the church is also God's means of blessing the nations. We too are to be a light to the nations, a light to the world, a salt and a light. And that means more than sending out missionaries and evangelists. It's also how we live in this world. It's very important. For to the church belongs salvation. That is where God reveals His redemption. How we live. What our priorities are. And how we love the Lord. That becomes a witness to the world. People should see how we rejoice in living according to God's law. And that it's a blessing to do that. Our joy in the salvation of our God should want them to experience the same thing. And we shouldn't be quiet about it. It's not the kind of news that you whisper about. 
your whole life should be a, a joyful noise of witness to the salvation of your God. And then when we do it with our voices and our music and express it with our whole lifestyle, people will hear it. Because a quiet, hidden, secret Christian faith, that's really an oxymoron, isn't it? The people that know you should be able to see it on you that you are different. The marvelous things that the Lord has done are reasons for your joy. Reasons for God's people to come to Mount Zion, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. For that is where His salvation is revealed. That is where He is to be worshipped. God is using His church to bring about the redemption of the nations. But we learn from this psalm that His salvation extends also to His creation. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. The choir of praise congregation is getting bigger. The church and the nations are being joined by God's creation. There's even more reason to sing a new song. Even creation is being redeemed, and so all of creation must also give glory to God. In many ways, creation does that already. But one day it will do so in fullness and perfection. The psalm shows us that we shouldn't have too narrow a view of God's redemption Sin has affected all of creation, and redemption will affect it as well. In Romans 8, we read that creation is groaning and waiting to be set free from the bondage of corruption and is waiting to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Up until now, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, we read further. But when Christ returns then that will change. When the Lord returns to judge the earth, there will be a total renewal of creation. And the psalmist is already talking about that. We also read that creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of the sin of man. Nature is the victim of the fall into sin. And now all creation is groaning in pain and waiting waiting in joyful expectation. The sea is roaring. The rivers clap their hands. The hills sing for joy. And in Psalm 96, for example, we read that even the fields and the trees of the forest sing for joy. Have you ever thought of nature that way? Have you ever thought of nature waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? And why would nature be waiting in eager expectation? Well, we have the answer at the end of the psalm. Because he comes to judge the earth. He is the rider on the white horse, whose name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is faithful and true. And he comes to judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity, that is, in truth and in justice. 
All wickedness will be expelled and only justice and truth will remain. And we will be restored on a restored earth. God's redeemed will be able to exercise perfectly the mandate to subdue the earth and to take care of it. And they will be able to do so in a nature that is no longer subject to sin. And when the great king comes, all of this will take place. That's a world that's difficult for us to imagine, isn't it? The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. A nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a prospect of joy, congregation. What a contrast to how nature lives today, red in tooth and claw. Here we have a picture of what nature really should look like. It's simply not right that animals live in fear of each other. That the gazelle should flee from the lion, or even that a mouse, that a cat should play with a mouse. Is it any wonder that creation leaps for joy? Is it any wonder that creation waits in eager expectation for the coming of the great king? How much joy is waiting for creation? How much joy is waiting for God's people? How can one song even cover it all? We have every reason to shout for joy. We have every reason to be glad. The day of the Lord is coming. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now already. Because for all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, a day is coming when every tear will be wiped from our eyes and there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. We really have something to look forward to, don't we? And we know it's coming. For he who is faithful and true has promised this. Brothers and sisters, may this encourage us to walk in the joy of faith. Let us rejoice today already in the marvelous deeds of our Lord. We can celebrate God's salvation in the present and in the future. For he has already given us his great salvation. Amen.